All right, well, good early afternoon to everybody, and thank you so much for being here today, and I want to welcome everybody that's watching online or listening via our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are continuing on in a series about prayer, and today I'm going to talk about the fruitful life of prayer and how you can pray from a fruitful place and actually see the promises of God happen in your life because you're praying right. There are two ways to pray. You can pray God's way, or you can pray your way, which is a miss. If we do it our way, we're often praying for things that aren't the best for us, or we're asking for things that aren't always in his timing or in his perfect will. But when we pray God's way, we're praying from a place and a position of confidence, boldness, and fruitfulness, and I'm going to talk to you about that today. We're going to start off first with John chapter 15, verse 16, and we're going to unpack this scripture just a little bit. And I'm going to talk about kind of how I live my life of constant communion in prayer. This series really is about a sustained life of prayer where you're in constant communion with the Lord. And the question is how we do that, and today I'm going to break it down as far as how I do it personally and give you some really, really good insight to who we are and how we remain and stay and abide in his presence full time. John 15, 16, we're going to start off first with this simple statement, you didn't choose Jesus, he chose you. We're just going to pause there for a moment. To be chosen means he picked you. And you have to understand that God picked you despite you and not based on your merit, not based on how worthy you were, not based on how good you are, not based on, you know, all your great degrees or money or how well you've excelled in anything. God picked you first. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. And I'm going to camp here for a minute because if you don't have an understanding of the fact that God loves you despite you, and he's your father despite the choices and decisions that you have made, that he picked you first, if you don't get that understanding, you'll fall into a works-based mentality, or you'll find yourself constantly feeling less than, you feel like you're not measuring up, you feel like you're not good enough, you'll feel like you have to work harder for your salvation. You have to understand that salvation is a free gift from God. Through faith, by grace, not by works. So there's nothing that you could have done to earn salvation. In fact, when you were in your worst place, Jesus gave his life on the cross. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that still applies today. So no matter what your story is, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've been in, Jesus chose you first. He picked you first just like he did the disciples. So the fishermen are fishing on the seashore. They're, they're outcasts of the day. They're not Pharisees. They're not Sadducees. They're not continual churchgoers. They're not actively connected in the religious system. Every day, they're living their lives for themselves and fishing day by day for their career and their purpose, not God's. And God picked them. It's the same with Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew sitting in the tax booth, literally robbing people in a place of shame and hatred because the tax collectors were hated in the day. They were considered the lowest class of society because they were traitors. They were in cahoots with the Roman government who was oppressing Israel. They were stealing people's money for themselves and taking extra off the top for themselves so much so that their money was considered dirty. Many times people would pay taxes to the tax collector and not even ask for change because the change was considered dirty. And no money from the tax collector would ever be given in the temple. Their money was dirty. It was dirty money. Because they were traitors, they were hated, they were robbers, and they were thieves. And the fishermen were living lives for themselves, not pursuing the things of God and not even looking for God. You have to understand how the disciples got picked, and that's how he picked you. When your life was without form and void and full of chaos and darkness and sin, when you were in your worst place, he picked you. But the deceptive lie is that I have to be good enough or I have to measure up and be a good churchgoer and every day I have to do all the right things so that God will accept me. No, what you have to understand is God already accepted you. 
Now, you have a responsibility, and we're going to talk about it. But when God died on the cross, when Jesus gave his life on the cross, here's the great news. When you didn't deserve, when you didn't deserve punishment and death, when you didn't even deserve Jesus giving his life, he gave his life to rescue you from your own self and the death and destruction that would come from living separated from God. He did it when you couldn't do it, and he still does it today. And so if you're in a depressed place, a hopeless place, if you're in a dark place, if you're in an in a addicted place, if you're in a place full of shame and compromise and sin, here's the great news. God picked you. Now, he picked you. It's that simple. Now, that's hard for us to, to comprehend. You know why? Because we live in a world where we're picked based on how we look, what we wear, the money we make, our value, uh, our career, our status, what I can do for someone. So we live in this constant world of reciprocation when God said, look, when you couldn't reciprocate, I came and rescued you. This is like hard for some of us to understand. But my prayer is that you'll get the spirit of wisdom and revelation today because this is the number one thing that changed my life. God picked me. I didn't feel worthy, and I wasn't. I was messed up and jacked up. And then over the course of time, I discovered why he picked me. But you got to understand, when I got born again, or when you get born again, I knew nothing about the Bible. Nothing. I didn't know about God's word. I didn't understand what it meant to be a son. I didn't get born again and then suddenly have this matrix download of God's word. Now, I got a full-grown Jesus inside of me, but I had no understanding of what that meant. And over the course of time, over the course of not giving up, over the course of allowing his life and his transformation inside of me, I began to discover, I began to learn, I got hungrier, I wanted to know more, I messed up many times, but I began to learn that when I messed up, I didn't have to pay penance to get back. Because the deceptive life, you don't get what I'm teaching you right now, that he chose you, you didn't choose him. What will happen is you may get, okay, I get it, God picked me. But later in your Christian life, you'll feel like I have failed God and I'm not measuring up or he's mad at me or he didn't pick me anymore. And it will be based on your religious actions and your merit that you think God picked you. Oh, I get it. Some of you gave your life to Jesus and you ran right back to drugs and alcohol and premarital sex and I don't know, you fill in the blank. Fighting, whatever. God still picked you. You know how fast Jesus wants you to come back to him? Because the Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you. Never means never. I don't know what else to tell you. And it doesn't mean there's not consequences or actions. But God in his love and his mercy is always standing there with arms wide open. He's not sitting back, yeah, look at what you did. You did it now. Screw up. No, no. I know it sounds funny, but you wouldn't believe how many people in this sanctuary live like that. And I don't make any assumptions. I don't care how long you've been coming to Rock City. There very well could be some of you not born again here today. You got to understand the good news in the gospel. When you couldn't, he did. Some of us haven't even moved past that spot. God says, I want you to understand, you get, it was not at all based on your merit or your worth so that you can't boast and say, I took credit for it. Because if you think, if you don't get this, you'll think that you did it and you can take credit for it, and then when you fall short, you'll fall into shame and walk away from God. I've seen the most on fire people be so spiritual, and then somehow, some way down the line, they disappear. And what I say is, look, you, I'm gonna, I am gonna be here for you, God willing, unless something were to happen, which I don't believe it will. You can come back a thousand times. 
and you can go, you can leave here tomorrow and bomb it and come back here and repent, and I'm going to love you and hug you and comfort you, and I'm going to set some good boundaries in your life, but if you don't listen to me, that choice is yours to do. You can go do what you want, and if you bomb it, bomb it and blow it, come on back. I'm going to give you a big hug, and I'm going to give you some good guidance and some good counsel. I'm going to point you to Jesus. What happens in most of the times when you're doubting and you're uncertain is you question who you are. And really, the devil works in getting you to question who you are. You all should be so fired up. Now, if you got shame or you've been bombing it or you've been in sin, today you get to get out of it. Right now. Right now. Not through more works, not through penance, not through tithing more, not through surfing more. Jesus is right here, right now. You give me any buts you want. I will give you a greater one, but God, who is rich in mercy. We're not near as merciful as God is. Oh, I want to kick crack. I want to lay the law. I want to rip some heads off and maybe even strangle a few people. But God in his mercy helps me to see you the way he sees you. And instead of anger and vengeance, I see love and compassion. And I can actually say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It doesn't mean that we don't have consequences, and it doesn't mean we don't have to make choices, but I want you to understand this one thing. I didn't pick God. He picked me. Now I had a responsibility, so here's the responsibility. Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee. God highlights who his disciples are going to be. He had prayed and fasted all night long. The night before on the mountaintop, he sees them. They get highlighted, and he looks at the, the disciples, and he says, follow me. And what did they do? They dropped their nets. If we don't drop our nets and forsake all, we're not going to be able to be his disciples, learn his ways, and follow him and discover what he has for us there must be a dropping of your net and forsaking all. So Matthew's sitting in the tax collector booth, robbing people. Jesus calls him out of the booth, and he leaves all to follow Jesus. Now, I don't want you all to go quit your jobs. Some of you might need to quit your job or go find a different one. I, I'm not saying you need to do that. What I'm saying to you is the priority is not first your job. The priority is first forsaking all to follow him. Because if you forsake all and you follow him, something incredible happens to your life. And that's what we're going to talk about. So number one, he picked you. He chose you. He loves you. He cares about you. He died on the cross, and when your life was a mess... He called you out of darkness, just like he did in Genesis 1 when, we, when the earth was without form and void, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light. The word hovered means to brood with expectation for a hope and a future and a promise. So you think in your darkest moment that God is far away from you? Mm -mm. We're the ones that walk away, but he stands there with open arms. My best advice I can give to you is when you bomb it and blow it and screw it up, instead of running from him, run to him. I get a lot of calls from people in crisis, a lot. And you know what I do when somebody calls me in a crisis situation? I don't try to fix them. I don't try to lay out the 10 steps of what they should do. I say, you know what, let's invite Jesus and the Holy Spirit into this situation. Let's pray right now. Let, let's Ask the Lord to bring comfort and strength and health and guidance because if Jesus isn't on the scene and rescuing and redeeming and strengthening and comforting, my words will be just empty words. What we need more than behavior modification and direction is comfort and presence and strength and identity of who you are. And some of you don't know who you are. Now, I love you. I've had this conversation with a lot of people lately. You don't really know or understand what it means to be a daughter or a son. Here's my best advice for you. Own it. Because if I can get you on the pursuit to discover your identity, it'll change your life.
Identity is more important than power. Identity is more important than giftings. Identity is more important than anything because when you understand that he picked you and chose you and calls you a son and a daughter and brings you into the family, you will begin to understand the benefits that you get from sonship and identity. How do I know when you're not living like a son? Well, orphan spirit. And that orphan spirit looks like something, and in particular what it looks like is thorns and thistles and the sweat of my brow, always working, never achieving, sleepless nights, drugs, alcohol, thorns, thistles, uh, not rested, workaholics, all these things that come from the wrong tree. Versus I'm fully rested, my business is in his hands, my family's in his hands, I'm, st I'm abiding and staying fruitful continuously in constant communion, and I know who I am, so I'm not having to work it up or measure up. So none of my religious uh, uh, disciplines are duties. I can't wait to spend time with them. I love y'all, and I got a lot of things going on. But can you imagine? I got, this happened to me many times. I have a full plate on my, from the minute I wake up, 5.30 a.m. until 10 o'clock at night, I have a jam-packed day. And there are so many times I'm racing off to what I got to do, and I hear the Lord say, are you going to spend time with me? I'm like, no, Lord, I got a busy schedule today. Can we meet in a few hours? Nah, I don't think so. So I'm driving to Port A. God says, are you going to spend time with me? I'm like, man, I had a, got a meeting in in 10 minutes, and I'm 20 minutes away. I drive past J.P. Luby. Yeah, Lord, we can spend time right now. So I start praying and talking to him, and I get to Beach Road Access 3. You going to spend time with me? Yeah, Lord. Keep on driving. I get to Beach Access Road 2. You going to spend time with me? Yeah, Lord. And then I keep going. And finally, by Beach Access Road 1, I'm making a right. Because what I've learned is if I have to push a meeting back 30 minutes or an hour, if I'm not staying abiding and fruitful or I'm depleted, I'll step into my meeting and I'll be worthless, angry, edgy, or make decisions tired and from an empty cup. And whatever you got to do, you got to do it. Jesus had to wake up long before the sunrise to find the time. And everything gets sacrificed for abiding. Everything. Social media, checking the weather. I get up in the morning, and I don't care. I'll tell you all exactly what my first things I do. I get up in the morning, and I'm headed right to the bathroom. <laughs> and I go to the bathroom on my way. Sometimes I say, good morning, Jesus. Sometimes I don't. And I get to the throne, and I sit down, and I'm like, good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Father. And I have my phone. Now, you all know you go right to your phone when you get up, most of you. And I go to my phone, and instead of the weather, the news, what happened last night, Facebook, social media, whatever it is, my first button I click is my Bible, and I go to, I, have, I know morning scriptures, just Google, or just uh, search morning in your Bible. And there's scriptures talking about, in the morning I will lift my voice. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all things will be added to you. So I'm sitting there, and I start to get into my word, and I'm reading a little bit right while I'm on the throne. My wife's like, how can you be in there for so long? I'm like, well, number one, I got a squatty potty. Let me just tell you how awesome the squatty potty is. If you don't have a squatty potty, it will change your life. You need to get one. Come on, guys, lighten up on us. That, that was funny. I won't even tell you about the refresh it. If you don't have one of those, that will change your life too. And my wife's like, how long can you be in there? I said, come on, man, you know what I'm talking about. My wife's about in there for about a minute. I'm in there for like 10. But in the morning, I'm, I'm taking my time in that moment, and I start my trajectory of my day that way. And then when I go into the next thing, whether I take care of the family first or I get situated, when I'm out that door, my first place I'm going is to find him or spend time with him. Unless God wakes me up at four in the morning, I don't like to be woke up at four in the morning. He knows that. I've told him, don't wake me up at four in the morning. 
It doesn't work, by the way. That doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, I get it. It's quiet. It's peaceful. Nobody's up. It's a perfect time. I'm putting the Lord first and giving him my very best of the day. Okay? So I understand that God chose me. I didn't choose him. But I did respond and drop my net. At some point, you've got to drop your net and forsake all. All right? The next thing is, is that he chose you for a purpose. Let's say this together. He chose me for a purpose. All right, so let's talk about that purpose. First, he appointed you. This word in the King James is also the word for ordained. And here's what it means. It means to be set into place or put into position. It means to be established for a purpose. That's what this word appointed means. The first meaning is that God puts you in your place. And God has a way of putting you in your place. Now, you can let him put you in your place the easy way or the hard way. But God eventually, because of his love and his mercy and his kindness, will do all he can to put you in your place. Now, there's an there's a easy part of putting you in your place, and there's a hard part. The easy part is, is he established me, he positions me, he calls me a son, he, he puts me where I need to be. But another way to look at this is he puts you into a submissive position. Now, this is the only way that I can think about this, and this is a little bit funny, but it's the only analogy that comes to my mind right now, and it's this. We have two 50-pound dogs. One of them's a male, and he can be, in the early days of us raising him as a puppy, could be a little bit aggressive. So I had to teach my dog who the alpha dog was. I had to teach my dog that he's not in charge, okay? So as a puppy, when he would get aggressive or he would bite early on, he had to learn that I was in charge. So when he would nibble or bite or get aggressive in any way, what I'd do is I would grab him by the back of the neck and I'd roll him over in his back and I'd go, ah, and I'd put my mouth right in his neck like I was, gonna, like I was a dog. And you know what he'd do? And after a while of me grabbing my dog and going, putting my mouth right, I'm going to eat him. I'm going to bite him right in the neck. And he lays back. He's 50 pounds. He's a big dog. I got little kids. So I'm teaching my dog how to be submitted by putting him in his place. Now I don't even have to do that anymore. Now I just look at him and he goes, Do you understand? That's just one analogy that I could think of. Here's my point. God, when he created Adam in the garden, he formed and molded him out of the dust of the ground. And the scripture says he, he vexed him or stretched him out on the same day he made the animals, the sixth day. And then he reached down, he came down low, and he went right into the nostrils of Adam. He went... And Adam is laid out in the dust of the, dust of the ground. <clears throat> you just understand that. <clears throat> and so God does the same thing to us. You have to understand that he cuts you first. You have to decrease before you can increase. He removes pride, arrogance, haughtiness, and anything in your life that would keep you back from fully trusting him. Now you can do it the easy way or the hard way. Some of us continue to do things the hard way. And we create our own world of dysfunction. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and care about you and isn't standing right by to rescue you because he picked you and he loves you. So God appoints or he puts us in our position to where I am fully dependent upon him. I have learned through a lot of failures and mistakes and hard ways that I can't do it my own way. You can't do it your own way. You got to do it his way. And he'll tell you his way. He's told it to you in his word. He'll tell it to you by his voice. He'll use family and community, instructors, fathers, teachers to tell you his way. And if we don't do it his way, guess what happens? A world of heartbreak, 
a world of brokenness, a world of hurt, and a world of pain. So if you've been in that world and you've been stubborn, just repent today and let's call you back home because I'm going to pray for you when this is done. And today you get a new start because God in his kindness and his mercy is instant. He's instant. The deceptive lie is, man, if I go to church enough, read my Bible enough, worship enough, pray enough, if I do all these things, then God will accept me or approve me, and that's not true. He's already accepted and approved you. He doesn't want you living destructive, so he's going to work in your life to root it out, but we ultimately figure it out at some point that we can't do it our own way. So he appoints you by putting you in a position of total trust and lordship. He puts you in a submissive position to be led and to follow him, but he also equips you for a purpose because I want to show you this. I chose you and appointed you for a reason. Here it is, so that you should go and bear fruit. Now, if you look at this word go in the Greek, this word is a compound Greek word that means to be led under. It means we're under his headship and he'll lead you and guide you. It means that we're fully submitted under him and now when I go, who's leading me? He is. Every one of us has a great commission to go, all of us. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And he gave us a whole list of instructions. All of us have a, have a command to go, but he never wanted you to go alone. He always wanted you to go together with him. And here's what he says, go and bear or bring forth. Let's everybody say bring forth. The word to, to bear or bring forth means to be blown by the wind like a mighty rushing wind. In fact, the word bear is the same word for when the Holy Spirit came in Acts like a mighty rushing wind. So what happens is, is when I understand my identity, when I understand that he has appointed me and I'm fully submitted to his headship, now I can produce fruit and I can be led everywhere I go. But there's something even greater, and it's the last part of the scripture. God says, I, don't, I not only want you to be fruitful, but I want your fruit to remain. I never want it to leave. I want it to be present all the time in your life so that the end result is this. When I'm communing with the Lord and I pray for something, what I pray for, I get. Because how do you, how do you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, you'll get. Oh, I I'm just would love to have a brand new 2019 Corvette so that you know. Somebody wants to give me one, go for it. You know what? I'll take an all blacked out Challenger Hemi SRT8. I'll even take a Hellcat and I'll rename it. I don't care what it, get me, I want one so bad. So I went to the, to the Dodge dealership and I laid hands on that car and I said, in Jesus' name, you're mine. No, I didn't. The Lord's like, that's the last, and every now and then I love rousing my wife. I'm like, I am going to get me one of those, and I'd name the car. I'm going to get me a muscle car. She goes, no, you're not. She says, that is the last thing you need, but I want it so bad. Here's my point. God wants you to be fruitful first. Listen to me. Genesis 1.28, if I could give you one thing to make your endeavor, it's be fruitful. And then to teach you how to be fruitful. Genesis 1.28, it was the garden commission. Five things, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, reign, and have dominion. They're all even hidden in this, five, in this scripture. There's five things in this scripture. Fruitful first. Now let's talk about that real quick. The giant redwood didn't have to work so hard to be a giant redwood. My grapefruit tree takes a long time to grow grapefruits, but my grapefruit tree doesn't have to do anything but be a tree. Receive the sun, 
receive the water, receive the life. What I've learned is once I step into my identity as the son and I remain in position of my ordination of being a submitted son to my daddy, guess what? He causes me to grow. Be fruitful first. Because when you're fruitful, you produce something that inevitably gives life to somebody else and you'll multiply. Because in the fruit is the seed. So if I'm fruitful, you're gonna pick out of my life and I'm gonna give you away what God's given to me. And then what I'll do is it'll be, it'll be cyclical or circular in this sense that the fruit will constantly be produced and it remains all the time. I wasn't fruitful just last week and now I'm not. Stay fruitful all the time so that when I commune, I'm now declaring and praying and believing and coming into agreement with what God is saying and doing. Do you understand that? John 15, seven. We'll go back a little bit. Do you know in this chapter, seven times Jesus uses the word abide. You gotta abide, man. You gotta abide. Abiding means that I'm constantly under the shadow of his presence because I know who I am and I'm not stepping out. I don't just abide in my compartmental time under the bridge or in my secret place or at church. It's a dwelling place that I'm at all the time, and now I'm under his shadow, Psalm 91.1. So Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask whatever, uh, ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Why? Because now your desires are his desires. And that doesn't mean we don't get things we like or want for joy and pleasure. I got a boat. I love my boat. I never get to go. I don't fish much anymore, little kids. It's just the season I'm in. But I really enjoy this boat, and I think God a lot enjoys me going out and fishing and spending time with him. But I'm not living my life full-time on the water and fishing and neglecting his purposes and plans because at some point I drop my net. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, abide, 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 seven times, abide, abide, abide. Get this main thing, abide. God's not, God is going to speak to you. He promised it. Spend time with him in his word and put him first. Put him first, okay? So now we're gonna look at how we stay in constant communion and prayer and how Jesus taught us, Matthew 6, 8, talking about don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees with hypocritical prayers to be seen by men, repetitive prayers. He says this, he says, don't be like them. Your father knows the things that you have needed before you ask him. And I answered the question a few weeks ago, well then why even ask him if he already knows? Because it's not about so much the need as it is the communion. He knows better what I need than he does or than I do. So God wants me to commune with him. He wants relationship with me. And then Jesus says, therefore, when you pray, you pray in this manner. Manner means pattern. Manner means in this, in this fashion. So here's how you pray. Now, I'm going to give you what I live every single day of my life and how I commune with the Lord. I've shared this with you, but I'm going to break it down for you a little bit more today. Number one, I'm a son. So when you pray, you pray our Father. I also realize that this isn't a me alone thing, it's an us thing, it's a community thing. Our daddy. So if you are born again, you got, we got the same dad. And then second of all, we shouldn't be hearing things contrary to his word, we should learn to be unity and unified and in agreement because we have the same papa. Doesn't mean we don't get different downloads and different understandings, but when it comes to direction and guidance and purpose, we're a family. God's word makes things explicitly clear and then the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we shouldn't be divided about that. No, premarital sex is not okay. Abortion is not okay. Period, it's black and white. There's a whole list of things biblically that God commands us that we've gotta be on the same page about especially with the world spinning out of control, political divide, 
the White House and the politics and Republicans and Democrats. You're not that. God's not a Republican or a Democrat. We're in the kingdom. He's, is he for values that are biblical? Yes. Are a lot of conservative values biblical? Yes. Are they all? Probably not. But the point is, is I live in the kingdom and so do you. And so now when I'm praying, I'm praying my father who art in heaven because I understand that I'm a son. Got that? You're a daughter. 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 Son. Son. Daughter. Daughter. All right? When you're born again. I'm, I'm speaking to those that have given their lives to Jesus. You become a son. So when I pray, I'm living in conscious communion of identity. Second thing is worship. You've got to worship. Hallowed be thy name means that I'm living a life of constant worship. So every day, I have different Pandora stations, Spotify stations. I have Apple Music. And I'm listening to worship in my daily routine. And I'm constantly in an attitude of worship towards him throughout my day. David said, I lift my hand seven times a day. Some of us only do it once a week. So I'm challenging you lovingly to say, look, if you want to walk in constant communion and victory, Jesus gave you the way to do it. He said, know who you are as a son, worship continuously, and then let's keep reading. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it in heaven. So what we're saying is, God, I don't want to do it my way. Come and invade my space. Let's all say, Lord, invade my space. So now I want the kingdom of heaven to invade my kingdom on earth. I want his life and will and purpose actively involved in my life, will, and purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? Where? This is like an earth. So in my heart, my job, my family, my kids, my career, my work, Whatever you do, that's what I'm telling you. Don't just run out and quit your job. That's not the point. The point is, even in your job, you can live forsaking all. Because now the purpose of your work is for the purpose of the kingdom. So I'm saying constantly, Lord, let your will. What is your will? How do you want me to love my kids and my wife? How do I handle this crisis situation better? Everything's spinning out crazy around me, and I'm not sure what to do. So I'm looking to you, and I'm saying, Lord, come and invade my space so your will could be done in my life. Okay? Every day. Verse 11. Give us this day our how often? How often? Now, I know you guys have heard this a lot, but there's a lot of people that have never heard this. Daily bread is daily bread. Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. There's two concepts behind this scripture. The first is, God is your provider, you're not the provider. And your employer is not your provider. Your boss is not your provider. Got that? If you don't get this, you'll always be looking to man to provide your needs. This is even important for wives. Because a wife will always look to the husband, you're supposed to be my provider. No, I will provide and I will work hard, but the ultimate provider is the Lord. He's our provider. Give us this day our daily bread. And then the next thing is, is that daily bread is constant communion with the Lord because he's the bread that came down from heaven. So now if I miss a day or two days or three days, and it happens, and I'm not living in regret and trying to play catch up, there's just some days I didn't get into the word or I didn't commune or I didn't hear his voice, it happens sometimes. What I do is instead of living in regret of the past or feeling like failure, I just pick myself up and get back to doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so daily bread means that Jesus wants to give you fresh bread and revelation every day of your life. He has something to say about every one of your situations. Are you having a struggle with your job, your money, your kids? Are you facing any difficult situation right now? Anybody? Is anybody going through a difficult situation? Jesus has something to say about that. He's got something to say about it. And I want to know what he's got to say, don't you? What's your crisis? All right, Jesus, what do you got to say about that? Many times he points me right to his word. He says, my, my word says, 
I'll never leave you or forsake you. My word says, heal me, Lord, and I'll be healed. My word says the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. So come here, let's pray. I got faith. Come on, pray for you. And I fully believe you're going to be healed. Now, I'm going to live in this world of doubt because I'm going to rest in what his word said, not try to conjure it up or work it up more. He's God, I'm not. I'm just going to come in agreement with what he has to say. Daily bread is daily bread. Now, if you haven't been getting daily bread, you've been a workaholic, or you've been going nonstop without constant communion, don't feel shame and guilt about it. That's not what I want you to do. What I want to do is get you back to where you're supposed to be. Who's with me? Anybody? All right. That's what we're here for today. Not to browbeat you, so stop putting self-condemnation on yourself. But my messages are pretty consistent. And it's also, now, if you just would spend more time with God, you'll be fixed. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is who are you? I'm a son. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and I know he's born again, and he says, I've got an orphan spirit. I said, no, you don't. Now, you may be believing lies like an orphan, but you don't have an orphan spirit. Are you born again? Yes. Then you have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you. Yeah! Yeah! Who are you? I'm a son. Say, I'm a son. I'm a son. Verse 12. Everything we need for everyday living is hidden inside the Lord's Prayer. If some of you aren't praying and you don't know how to pray, follow this pattern. Just Jesus gave you the pattern for life of communion. Got it? All right. Forgiveness is an everyday thing. You got to forgive every day. In fact, Jesus said that we're to forgive seven times 70, which if you break that down in a 24-hour period, that's every three minutes. So if anybody's angry or bitter or hurt by somebody, you got three minutes from right now to forgive. He want, you got to walk in forgiveness. In fact, verse 14 says, if you don't forgive somebody that's trespassed against you, you won't be forgiven. Do you know that? Say, well, I don't understand that scripture. Let's pull it up real quick. We'll go back to 13 here in a minute. First of all, sin is a debt. You know why? Because if I sleep with somebody, I'm, if I sleep with somebody in premarital sex, I have now violated their life and I owe a debt to them to ask for their forgiveness and to release them for what I did to them. So I ask people, all sin and trespassing is a debt. You owe a debt to love people. And if you're using people, abusing people, hurting people, lying to people, compromising with people, you are violating them. And it becomes a debt. So Jesus says, forgive us of our debts as we do what? Forgive our debtors. You gotta walk in forgiveness. And so to break down verse 14, jump over there real quick to verse 14. I'm going to help you understand the scripture. I've been asked doctrinally about this scripture many times. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, verse 15. It was actually verse 15 says, but if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Let me break that down for you. Is forgiveness provided for everybody on the cross? Did Jesus provide forgiveness for everybody? Yes. He's provided forgiveness for you. It's there whenever I, always for the taking. He's already forgiven me, all right? But here's what the context of this scripture is. Let's say I have hatred in my heart towards Doug. Let's say Doug's really done me wrong. Let's say Doug stabbed me in the back, lied, cheated. Let's say that I'm in a vicious, he slandered me. And he's just done horrible things to me. And he's not even here, but he's here right now. But let's say he's not. And I come into church, ah, worship. Oh, God, you're so good. I love you so much. Jesus said, if you come to the altar and you have hatred in your heart or angst or unforgiveness towards somebody, leave your gift at the altar and go and repent and make things right because we can't come to God with hatred in our heart towards somebody else and then to expect all the benefits of forgiveness. Of forgiveness. Yes, he gave it to you, but don't think for a second that you can keep living your life with unforgiveness. Here's why. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, 
and it's called a root of bitterness that defiles you and others. And the word defile, it means it makes you corrupt and everybody else around you corrupt. It'll make you sick. Bitterness and unforgiveness will make you sick. So we gotta walk in forgiveness every day, all right? And a lot of times you have to forgive yourself. And if you are walking in anger and unforgiveness or bitterness and you bombed it, let's first get you to the place of forgiveness the fact that God picked you and chose you and get you into the light so you can start walking in freedom and health. Back to verse 13. Don't lead us into temptation. God doesn't lead you into temptation. God doesn't say to Philip, hey, Philip, tonight I need you to go witness at the strip club by yourself. That didn't work like that. It's not like, man, I got a real problem with alcohol and drugs, and then God's saying tonight, hey, head downtown and hit up a couple bars and, you know, go be a witness, and next thing you know, I'm in there getting blasted. It's not, God's not leading us in a temptation. The scripture actually means lead us out and away from temptation. So when temptation comes, because temptation will come, and temptation in and of itself is not a sin, Stop beating yourself up, but break the temptations. Let God lead you out of the temptations, all right? So every day you're gonna be tempted. Every day you're gonna have to forgive. Every day we worship. Every day we commune. Every day we understand our identity. Every day we're asking for daily bread. Every day we want God's will on earth as in heaven. And then finally, we realize there's a devil that hates you called the evil one, and he's always, always trying to destroy you. Now, I don't live devil happy. I don't, I mean, I can't even tell you the last time I had to rebuke the devil. I just keep the door shut, and then I worship, and then I walk in forgiveness. And there are times that the enemies, I see the enemy trying to rise up in my little kids. I'm like, devil, you better get out right now in Jesus' name. They're fighting and arguing and kicking, and, and I'm like, this is, this is, not right. But I'm, I want you to understand, God wants deliverance every day of your life. And what that deliverance can look like is that I'm simply walking in his kindness and his protection against the onslaught of the enemy. I'm delivered. I'm protected. I'm redeemed. And every day it's a fight. The enemy accuses you night and day. Night and day, but God gives us a better strategy. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I love that because that speaks of total lordship. Whose is the kingdom? Whose is the power? Whose is the glory? Not me. Now he makes me into his image and I become the glory of God on earth because of him in me. But I realize it's all from him. So uh, I love this scripture, Ephesians 6.10. Talking about spiritual warfare. Finally, brethren, finally, above all, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not your might. Being picked, being chosen, walking in confidence, being ordained has nothing to do with how you feel. Some of you don't feel it, but it doesn't change it. And some of you say, well, I don't know who I am and I don't hear God's voice. I got a great advice for all of us. Abide Abide, abide, abide. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say, now if you spend time with me and abide with me, I'm not going to speak to you. And sometimes if you feel like God's not speaking to you, it may be because of bitterness or unforgiveness and he wants you to forgive. But he'll even show you I want you to forgive. All right? I'm just telling you, I'm giving you practical things of how I live my life in constant communion with the Lord. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. The kingdom of God is built on these three principles. Ask, seek, and knock. And the scripture says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we live this constant life of seeking, asking, and knocking. I'm knocking, Lord, for doors to be opened according to your will. And I've got some incredible testimonies of supernatural doors open in my life. Jobs businesses, homes, all kinds of things that, I, that were God's best plan for my life, and I knew it, so I'm going, 
and it opened. Why? Because my prayers were in accordance with his purpose and his plan. Let's jump down to James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members, in your own body, and in the community? Because everybody here has a desire for pleasure. We all want to laugh. We all want to be excited. We all want to have fun. We all are innately wired for pleasure. The Garden of Eden is the Garden of Pleasure and Delight. But when you're not satisfied in him, you'll run to lovers, drugs, alcohol, and the things of this world to find comforts and pleasures. And he's telling, so here's, I'll paraphrase this for you. Where does all the drama in your life come from? It comes from our own selfish desires and we don't even realize it. Verse two, you lust and don't have, you murder and covet and can't obtain, you fight in war, yet you don't have, so we're gonna talk about this for a moment, you don't have because you don't ask. Now why would somebody not ask? Shame, inadequacy, not knowing your identity, not knowing your father in heaven. I have little kids. Many times they just want, they want something that they can't have or they shouldn't have or I don't really want them to have. But if they ask me, I'm like, okay, because they asked. And I tell them many times, like, don't just go get on your iPad ever. Never take money. Like, I've got a coin thing in my truck. And my kids, many times, they want money. So they just flip it open and they start taking the quarters out. And I'm like, no, stop. That's, that's my money. I, I would want you to have it, but you've got to learn the value of money. Don't ever take my money without asking me first. Ever. I don't care if it's a penny. Because I'm teaching them good stewardship. And I'm, I'm going to be teaching them, I mean, they're five and six. Real soon, they're going to be mowing land and pulling weeds. And they're going to be sweating, pushing mowers. I can't really get my five-year-old behind a mower right now. But there's this whole dynamic of, he says, ask, seek, knock, and you'll get it. Be fruitful, and whatever you ask, you'll get it, right? But then there's also this dynamic of, why wouldn't you get what you're asking for? And why is our life full of drama, and we're praying, but we don't feel like we're getting our answers? And it's directly attributed to selfishness, sin, compromise, lack of understanding of who you are, either not asking because of shame or selfish personal desires, as much as I really would like to have that Challenger SRT, and I might get one one day, just so that you know. And I don't care what anybody thinks. And I will work hard for it, and it'll only happen if God gives me the green light on it. But I would like to have a nice muscle car one day. I like fast cars. And I'm driving a big Ram 2500 right now. And it does not go fast. I haven't gotten one ticket in that truck. <laughs> they say it's got a turbo, and I feel it's got a lack of turbo. But look at this next verse. I would be amiss to teach you about the beauty of who you are and asking God and abiding and all those things and getting what you believe for when you pray from a fruitful place if I didn't show you this. You ask and you don't receive because you're asking a misc that you may spend it on your own pleasures. God knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for you, Jason. He knows what you need. Samantha, he knows what you need. Reuben and Chelsea, he knows what you need. And it doesn't mean that I have a laissez-faire couch potato mentality. Oh, well, God, you know what I need, so I'm not even going to ask. Heck no. I'm contending. I'm believing. I'm warfaring. I'm believing for a million dollars for this build-out. I'm believing for the harvest. I'm believing for nations. I'm believing for stadiums. I'm believing for legacy. I'm believing to leave my kids a phenomenal inheritance. I'm believing to make more money. I'm believing for more coffee shops. I'm believing. I'm a big-thinking, expanding believer. That's how I'm wired. But if it's selfish, if I haven't dropped my net, I'll, if I don't drop my net, I'll catch no fish. Drop your net. And make sure everything that you do and that you're asking for is according to his plan. How do you do that? 
Everybody say, everybody say, stay fruitful. I'm bringing it home with that scripture. Stay fruitful. It's the number one thing God asks you to do in the garden. And if there's any area of your life that's thorns, thistles, sin, compromise, lies, deception, cheating, hiding, stealing, bring it to the light. Bring it to the light. Find somebody here on the prayer partner team to talk to. Get into a relationship with somebody. Find a mom and papa. Find a leader. No more hiding. If your life is without form and void and darkness, bring it to the light and get fruitful. Here's a word for marriages. I can't fix Amber, my wife. I can't fix her. And I, have, I said, well, I'm not trying to fix my wife. I said, listen, you want her changed and you want something different, but that's not your responsibility. My responsibility is to fix me with him. I can't even fix me. But my point is, is I'm getting in line with him because he's my head. To him, yours be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I have lordship. Jesus, what is inside of me that needs to come out? And stop getting your eyes constantly on your wife, your spouse, your situation, your problems, and your circumstances. Say, Jesus, come and rescue me. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because in that scripture where it talks about asking, seeking, and knocking, Jesus uses the example of a father giving his kid gifts. Did you know that? He says, ask, seek, knock, because I'm a good dad. I'll paraphrase it for you. I'm so much better than your earthly father, and I'll give you awesome gifts because I'm a great daddy. He is an awesome dad. He doesn't want you broke, busted, disgusted, but he also doesn't want you a workaholic fighting for your big bank accounts and stuff. It's okay to have stuff, but does the stuff have you? I got a Harley. I use it for ministry. I ride with a big, I don't ever ride my motorcycle without a big giant seen from five mile away yellow cross on my back. Do you know that? That's, I fly colors. Tribe of Judah, chapter president. And I go into the darkest of darkest places and shake atheists and Satanist hands that will never talk to you. And I ride that Harley and I enjoy every minute. Wind in my face, cranking up music in my ears. But it's not for me. I get the benefits. I get the benefits of a day out on the water on my boat with some good friends. But you know when I really enjoy a day out on the water? Either A, when it's me communing with the Lord, because most of the time I'm fishing, not catching. I'm not a very good fisherman. I do a lot more casting than fishing. But number two, I love it when I say, hey, bro, want to go fishing today? Yeah. And you know what happens in that is communion, relationship. Because everything that I do and I have gives glory to him. Do you understand? Your land, your property, your homes, I don't care what you got. Millions, five ranches, praise God. I'm not at all anti-wealth. I want you all, the Bible says God gives you the power to be wealth, to get wealthy. But I'm also not a prosperity gospel guy. Because if you don't die and you don't get born again, you don't get to get all the benefits of sonship. You are a son, but you don't get the benefits until you become a disciple and lay your life down for your father. Got that? God didn't want you to stay stuck. Here's my final word for you. There is no stuck in the kingdom. Did you know that? There's no stuck. Who's, who feels stuck right now? God can unstick you. There's no stuck ever. He's a God of a million outs. He owns everything. He can get you out of your most difficult situation right now. Scripture doesn't say now when you get born again, if you go to church for three months, 90 days, read your Bible every day, in the 91st day, I'm gonna show up. So if you're hurting, broken, sick, distant, living in compromise, not being spirit-led, not living a life of worship, not abiding, not having intimate times with the Lord Jesus, today you make the decision to change. And you just change by going and getting into the light. Be like an orange tree. Be like an orange tree. Get into the vineyard or a, grape on a, a, a good grape in a wine vineyard. 
so that God can make us awesome wine that's potent and effective to transform lives. No grape grows by itself, by the way. They all grow in clusters. So we're gonna grow together, and you're gonna make the decision to stop putting your career, your life, your money, your family, and everything first, which is stressing you out and sweating your brow, and you're being anxious and worried. You're gonna put Jesus first. You're gonna seek first the kingdom. You're gonna pray. The, you're gonna live the manner of the Lord's Prayer every day. You're gonna understand who you are as a son. And if any of those things have been amiss in your life, we're gonna pray for you right now. You guys ready? You guys fired up? Yeah. Now listen, I may not have said it the best, and I may not always have the best stories, and you may not have liked my squatty potty thing. But I'm just telling you guys right now, all I can do is give you the best of what, I, what the Lord teaches me. All I can give you is myself. And I live in a world of running businesses, coffee shops, staff, people, church. I'm in the fight too. And if I don't make it first about him and drop my net, then I'm going to be fighting by the sweat of my brow with anxiety, worry, fear, boozing it up every night, toking it up, sleeping pills. And next thing you know, I'm going to be in this dysfunctional, broken cycle of being numbed out or far from God. And I don't want that for any of you. Who wants out today? A lot of you. Stand up, please.